Good afternoon. It's uh, Kyle McLean with Pilosity, and as always, my partner in crime, James Reed, which I really shouldn't call you a partner in crime if you're a lawyer, right? Isn't that, isn't that bad? Partner in defense. Oh, partner in defense. Yeah. I like that. And then today, oh, well, Danielle's been joining us on for a couple of our podcasts. We missed you last week because you were in Napa sampling some of the local vintages. Oh, I might have been. I might have been over there. Napa or Sonoma? Napa. Napa? Yeah. Is it just like a isn't it just like a big circle? Like you just start at one end and just drink your way around? It's a valley, so there's a trail and you literally just stay up and down that road and of course you can cut off here and there, but it's just like miles and miles of glory. It's amazing. Highly glory, recommend. Glorious. Yep. It was uh, it was quite an experience, though, because we flew in last Wednesday in San Francisco, which, of course, was the day that the sky was burnt red. And so this post-apocalyptic hellscape that greeted us, we got off the plane. We're like, what the heck is going on? It was it was as if it was midnight at 1030 in the morning. It was so dark, but it was red. Right. Yeah. So that's frightening. But when you got there, the skies cleared and. Everything was good. You know, it cleared to a degree, but it was still just very smoky. It didn't smell smoky, but the sun was basically covered, and it's a little bit of a different experience. But so, the wine so tasted great. So James and I called our podcast Wine on Wednesday because we know that the love affair HR and payroll have with, with that particular beverage, which yeah. is always good. Which it's is why good. I've been a natural integration into this company. Right? right? Now, talking about natural integrations, so – your job, like your full-time job is not doing this with us, but it's actually important and it's valuable and it's, it's employee benefits, right? That's right. So how, how did you get into it, Danielle? What, what is it that you loved so much about it that you wanted it to be your, your full-time profession? Help us out. You know, it, it's funny because I'm like basically like the anti-sales, anti-insurance person who managed to fall into this industry and I'm so grateful that I did, but um, so my background is communications and public relations, and I had spent a couple of years um, really working with uh, fa- family offices, wealth management, as a relationship manager to high wealth individuals in the Detroit metro area. And I was a great at guiding and supporting, consulting, and helping people. And that's the satisfaction that I found out of that role. Um, what was not satisfying is that on the verge of having my second child, I was working insane, late hours, super early mornings, late into the night, basically on call for these people. And um, I had my property and casualty broker at the time reach out to me and say, you know, we should really have a conversation. I think I have a career opportunity for you that you'd be really intrigued by. So I'm like, all right, you know, let's see what this is all about. We had coffee and he he described, you know, the employee benefits side of his organization. And I was like, you're, you're nuts. There's no way in hell. The idea of insurance was just so repulsive to me because my perspective on insurance was I'm not going to name names of any small agencies, but you just kind of have this, this, it's a yucky feeling. Right. Um, And then the other piece of it was the sales piece, which was, even worse from my perspective, because you go in our van, you get sold to rest in peace, our van. And you hate that feeling of being chased down of someone trying to, you know, place a service on your shoulders that you don't necessarily need. 
And so with that, I was like, no, thanks. See you later. He's like, no, seriously, just have one conversation. He's like, I think that you have the natural acumen for this, the network. And he had seen the work that I had done with the family that I was working with. So one interview turned into several and all of a sudden I found myself on my very first day on this job in this brand new career, which was not where my degree was supposed to lead me. I was going to be a public relations executive in New York City. Um, But my gosh, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because, you know, it's, it's about the insurance, of course, that's the baseline for what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but my greatest natural quality is that I love helping people and I actually like unwinding a big hairy mess. So here I am and there's lots of big hairy messes in the world of employee <laughs> benefits. Um, and it's just, it's been a dream. Well, oh, but- unwind a mess and love helping people. Yeah. You mentioned you were just in California. How do you turn it off? especially with a time change and, you know, at the winery, can you just block out work and ignore it for a week? Or how does that work? The wine certainly helps. Um, but no, you know, the reality is, is that um, especially in the virtual setting that we're in now, I never stop working. And, you know, wine aside, those moments are definitely personal, but I am always on. So whether it's late at night or early in the morning, the difference is now. People, right? I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the things. So when you're dealing with people and they need help, it's not like you can just turn off and go, Oh, you know what? I'm on vacation. I can't help you right now. Especially in benefits where I don't know if you ever get life and death situations and employee benefits, but they've got really urgent questions for people in a lot of trouble that, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Just saying, sorry, I'm out of office. Well, luckily, I have an incredible team for that. Um, I don't know that it's terribly appropriate to answer, you know, important business emails when I'm in a winery and I've consumed <laughs> large amounts of wine. Um, but I have an incredible support team. Yeah. And um, I, I have someone that I work with in tandem, and that's Anya Harmon. And she's just an amazing mentor and support. And, you know, in those moments, I'm like, hey, Anya, can you help? Can you fill this call? But yeah, there was lots of email exchanges and phone calls, you know, that happened throughout the weekend as appropriate. Hey, James, do you ever get any big hairy benefit messes that come up in your line of work? All the time. You know, I, I feel like I'm more of a employee benefit expert than I ever thought I would be. Really? Uh, you know, I, I'm an expert now on stop loss coverage and people have some unique prescription drug that costs approximately a million dollars a fill. And if a company doesn't have that stop loss coverage, I get a call saying, James, if this employee fills the prescription three more times, we're filing bankruptcy. Fix it. That's not a thing, right? There's no, there's no, well, obviously it is a thing because there's a million dollar prescription. Are you, are you kidding me? The, the actual facts, I think were like 300 and some thousand per fill, but it's a monthly fill. So oh, no. that's just one example where if you aren't properly coached and didn't have coverage by insurance after a certain dollar amount uh, puts your company out of business. So, so Danielle, how often do you come across a situation where you're talking to a prospect, right? And this comes up, is this normal? It is actually in a self-funded situation, there's a lot of liability on the table for an organization. And so if they have someone who turns into a really like really high claim, and especially with that pharmacy piece, 
they can get into a whole lot of trouble if they haven't been guided in a way that their cash flow supports, you know, that stop loss oh. threshold. Wait a minute. I think I see something. So what you were talking about earlier with the kind of the icky sale is, so do we have some, do we have some benefit advisors that are guiding people towards a specific plan that's hiring commission that kind of leaves their client open to getting taken to the cleaners like this? You know, I, I don't know if around that topic necessarily, but absolutely, yes. I see it all the time, and that's actually been cases that I've been able to take over because I'll take a look at what people are paying um, on a fee basis especially, and I just scratch my head because I look at the value of the services that we provide and the mm -hmm. amount of compensation that the other broker is receiving. And it kind of blows my mind. It makes me feel really bad for these companies that are struggling that they're really being taken advantage of. And that's just on the fee. That doesn't even have to do with the actual benefit plan structure where there's always room to cost contain and carve things out there. It just depends on how willing your broker is to get creative, you know, to get you out of a dollar mess. Is there an easy button? I mean, for... For outline of work in the HR payroll space for the software, everyone's kind of like, Callum, enough with the bells and whistles. Just does your shit actually work? And and when it doesn't, what does the service look like? Because I just my people are just getting crushed. I mean, is there a how can you help them on, on the benefit side? I'm when it comes to benefits, that's why I have you because I'm just completely lost. So how can how can you help? people get a program that's easy to understand and is manageable and is not going to have uh, as much as I like James having a lot of business. Uh -huh. <laughs> can we kind of stop him getting so much? <laughs> what, I, what can we do? Well, you know, it's obviously a case by case basis because I really can say that every single company that you talk to is different to the next. There's no two right. issues that are the same. And so, you know, usually it starts with education because I find where, you know, companies are being most taken advantage of by their brokers is the fact that they don't really understand what it is that they're buying. And a lot of times they don't even really have strong checks and balances around the cost of what they're buying. So outside of payroll, yeah. employee benefits can be the second largest spend for an organization. And yet you have individuals who not, might not have a finance background making these decisions on multi, multi-million dollar expenses. Oh, for um, sure. So education is really critical, number one. Um, but number two, you know, this is something I've always said, and, you know, just the way that I operate as a human being, it's the willing to, the willingness of your broker to get their hands dirty and really get in the trenches with you, to pull a heart, that big hairy mess, and to say, okay, here's a one-year strategy, three-year, five-year, this is what we're going to do this is your trail map. How do we help? So if it's something around employee communication or employee engagement or cost containment, we have a plan and it's not just this, you know, reactive kind of disaster that a lot of people deal with at open enrollment each year because their broker delivers some bad news late. They don't have enough time to make a strategic decision. And by the time everything's wrapped up, they don't even want to deal with a benefit or a broker change at that point, And then history repeats itself year over year. Mm. 
there's no brokers out there that intentionally delay the information getting to their clients, so they're, they're stuck, right? That never happens, right? Oh, yeah. I wish I could say time. that. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I'm actually talking to a prospective client right now where that seems to very much be the case. You know, their their hands end up tied every year, and, you know, the, the business has enough going on that once they've wrapped up that renewal, they're mm. on to the next thing, and, you know, suddenly they find themselves and it's October again and they haven't seen any of the renewal information and had no strategic proactive coaching. So for companies that are looking to make a change, how disruptive is switching, you know, insurance on a company? Yeah. Um, it, it really depends. It can be extremely minimal. If we were to come in and take over your current program as it is, you would feel almost no pain whatsoever. Um, you know, if you are ready to make a huge change and it's early enough in the season, it can get pretty messy, but that's change in general. I mean, that's life, right? Change can be difficult, but on the other side of that is usually something really, really good. So depends on just how messy the situation is. A lot of times, you know, that initial transaction is, you know, you're, you're getting to know new people, the new company, um, but suddenly you're saving money like crazy and you're communicating better with your staff. You have better technology. You have um, just better culture happening as a result of that. It's amazing um, what we do really beyond just the marketing of the benefits themselves. Is there any strategy to change your payroll provider and health insurance at the same time, or is that better doing it in different, different years? You know what, I, I am more of the aggressive, let's get it all done at once, let's have the big headache, get it all out of the way. Um, so, you know, I think people tend to say, I'll fix this piece first, and then I'll fix this piece next. And I think administratively, that makes sense. Um, on the other hand, I'll use Callum and I, for instance, if I walk into a situation where people are having an absolute payroll disaster, I'm going to coach them and say, you know, this is going to be painful at first, but let's get this all taken care of so that a year from now, you are in a totally different space. Let's not prolong the pain any longer than is necessary. I just caution people not to change their payroll provider at the same time as opening. <laughs> open enrollment is just, that that's just, I have done that once. I would rather not do it again. It, yeah. it went, it went okay, but there was a, there was a lot of wine involved. Um, at the at the back half of that so right. careful not to do that but yeah no same thing i get calls every now and again from people that are saying you know we're we're, we're shopping for a broker and of course i call it danielle but there's a when you look at the the benefit broker in, in the traditional sense and who you picture when you see a broker danielle you're not it it's, it's usually middle-aged. That's a compliment. thank you it is yeah no it is though it's usually middle-aged white guy that's um really busy and yeah. you, you're bringing a kind of fresh perspective. I mean, you mentioned before, this is not something you visualized yourself mm-hmm. doing when you were in in school, right? But you're, but you're so happy you made the change. I mean, yeah. how do you keep this fun? Because a lot of these conversations you're having are, are kind of tough. You're, you're yeah. talking to people and they're going, oh, wait, what? We, we didn't ask this one question. It's costing us an extra couple hundred grand a year, every year. I mean, how do you soften the blow when this 
HR director has to talk to their CFO and go, you know what? <laughs> what right. do you do? Well, I, I think that the biggest thing is always deliver bad news early. The second we know that they're in for a difficult renewal year, as early in that season as possible, we have our underwriter taking a look so that we're giving someone with a January 1st renewal information in July so that they have, you know, almost a full six months to make really sound decisions. Um, but again, it goes back to that education and equipping them so that when they have that tough conversation, if my team and I aren't directly involved with it, um, that they have answers and solutions. You know, it's one of those, those old things don't come to me with a problem unless you have a solution. So, um, you know, giving them alternatives is really critical coming up with creative plan design. There's the sky's the limit. It's amazing. You know, the, the things, the levers that we can pull really. Right. And yep. I tell people all the time, I'm a professional hand holder. Like really. Yeah. It's just yeah. one of those things where if they're making the change, there was a time in an implementation where I actually, <laughs> I actually, it was a automotive company. <laughs> I'm getting uncomfortable. So it was an automotive company and we're going through implementation and there was a personality conflict between the director of HR and one of our implementation people. So I went on site to sit next to the director because mm -hmm. we were allowed to back then, right? So I sat down next to the director and the person on the other end of the phone asked a pretty generic question, but if for some reason it just set this director off. And I reached over and I actually grabbed her hand. <laughs> and, then, and she looked at me. And I was like, it's That's okay. risky, Cal. And I was like, It's going to be okay. It, it's okay. It's, it's going to be okay. And she just started yeah. cracking up. And, uh, Great point, though, about personality. Yeah. Like, uh, would you say that your clientele seemed to have a certain type of demeanor and personality? A lot of lawyers, when I was, you know, getting started over 15 years ago, like each character style almost attracted a different type of client. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, to your point earlier, there's a lot of middle-aged guys in this industry, and I, I have... I'm fine with that. It was those middle-aged men who taught me so much of what I know. I think it's good to have, you know, diversity, but, you know, being my age, my gender, I tend to work more with a certain type of person. And that person usually is the HR leader who has the entire weight of the world on his or her shoulders and is basically that foundational pillar in that organization has no one to have their back. Like I, I see it like crazy. I just talked to someone about this recently and they were like, my job is a disaster right now because between COVID and everything that's going on organizationally, everyone at the highest level comes to me to say, I need you to make sense out of this mess. And so I take that really to heart. Um, especially with what's going on with employees with mental health, especially I've talked about this before, how HR are really acting as, you know, therapists among other things. I know they've always done that, but more so than ever, um, you know, who's their therapist, who's the person who they can lean on, who's their shoulder, who's that person. And so that's why I try to, you know, really integrate myself in a way that they trust me and they feel that they can call me up, whether it's benefit related or otherwise and say, I have a disaster on my hands. I need your help. And that's the type of rapport that I've been able to create. So 
Um, I would say that that's my natural demographic, just because again, I'm an, an, a helper. I think that's a great point. I, I think probably all three of us also break ice beyond just the service or product and probably get to know our clients on a deeper level where they can tell us other things that are a stressor in their lives and be that person that can relate to them. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, like I have, we all kind of came together to be on this podcast because we, one of the things we talked about was give before you get, yep. you have to give, you have to give of yourself. You got to give of your time and your patience and your intellectual property freely before you can expect to, to earn someone's trust other business right and i think that's been a forgotten art or it's just something that kind of get lost when in a in a in a vacuum of people just grabbing for as much business as possible there's there's plenty of business right you just have to treat people like regular decent human beings yeah and i think that's where where we do where james for instance i mean Talk about a stereotype type that James has just broken for me personally. I mean, he's a he's a lawyer with a gigantic heart and he's funny. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't find that many lawyers that have got a great sense of humor, but he cracks me up all the time. And when I see James in front of his clients, they're just they're laughing. And they're just like, I'm like, hang on a minute. This is the guy you call when I mean, they call benefit. They call Danielle when their benefit program's not working. They call me when their their HRS or payroll system's broken, and they call James when pretty much the world is about to end. And yet they love him. It's just nuts. So yeah, you two have been. I've just been impressed by how much you give. And Danielle, I've I've heard you in some meetings, and the rapport you have with your clients is just out of this world. How do you build that kind of rapport? Is it a is it a taught? Is it, a, is it something you were just born with? I mean, how did people build rapport like that? I think it has to come naturally. It really does. People are intuitive. They see right through it otherwise. Um, I have a natural curiosity. I genuinely care about people. Um, I, was, I was talking to someone about this earlier. And I said, you know, in my life, I will probably get hurt more than the average person because I open myself to other people emotionally, helping them, being that shoulder. Um, but I would have it no other way because I take what I do very seriously. And as I've said before, there are days where I feel like pinch me. I can't believe that I get to earn a living off of this because I am naturally very curious. So I get to ask a ton of questions that made a, a bunch of a really amazing people who all have very specific, unique worldviews. Most of them are really great character driven people who are trying their best to make their organization something that is meaningful from a culture standpoint that attracts people and retains people. And, you know, I, I just, I'm so in love with what I do. The success just follows when you feel that way about, you know, what you're doing, about your job. I feel very yeah. fortunate. Right. Just light up the room. Who knew that talk about benefits, you could light up a room, right? You know, <laughs> Well, if like I could do it with payroll, you, if I could do it with payroll, you can do it with benefits. No, no, it's good. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about what kind of sets you off and, and lights you up. And so it's just the employee experience, right? Yeah. Any any cool spot there? It's a tough one. What else would the people attending want uh, to know about you to to get to know you? What? 
Who is Danielle Leap and what should we know? I think, you know, something that I was always really shy of talking about when I was younger was that I came from a family with nothing. We were on food stamps. We lived in a very small house. Um, we really struggled to get by when I was a child. And, you know, through a, a series of unfortunate circumstances, my life actually, um, what I had created the opportunity to have private education, which was a huge turning point for me. Um, I think it kind of was what set me on this like really interesting trajectory in retrospect to have the opportunities that I have today. And, you know, I just, I feel so just fortunate by that. And I never for a moment take for granted the opportunities that I've been given. And so it really gives me kind of a unique worldview when I'm talking to um, companies, especially those blue collar. I love working with, you know, the blue collar manufacturer where you can see the owner um, who started it, you know, 40 years ago. Um, they're just struggling to get by. How can I get in there? I want to help be a solution to this problem. It's not, again, it's not just about marketing the benefits, it's about the entire strategy that's built around it. And so, you know, coming from that blue collar upbringing, that background, um, I, I feel like I kind of identify in these situations where I'm seeing the struggle and the people who are just working their butts off and the grit involved, you know, to make it beyond those challenges. And to be part of that solution is just, it's huge to me. And that's, you know, really what drives me, um, you know, from at least the, the cost containment perspective. Wow. Yeah, that, that's powerful. And I guess I would want you to go one step further. What do, are you doing to be well-rounded and is that necessary to be who you are and do what you do? Um, to be well-rounded, I think that, and I've said this to you guys, I think the biggest things are that you work your butt off and that you operate with character. Those are the two. I mean, you can have all of the natural skill set in the world. You can be the smartest person there is, but if you're lazy or if you're not ethical, none of it really matters. So, you know, in the conversation of well-rounding, for me, it's character and hard work. The, less, the rest is highly teachable, okay? So I get into a situation where there's a challenge. I don't back down because there's always a solution and I will lose sleep for weeks until I find it, but I'm going to get to the bottom again of that big hairy mess. All right. I'm impressed. James, how about you? I uh, learned something new every time. We yeah. Do right. This is a little bit more about who Danielle really is peeling, peeling dun, back dun, those, dun, those dun, big dun. hairy layers. Therapy <laughs> session. Oh, that's all. Okay. We're in benefits, right? This, it's, yeah, it's included. All right. So, I mean, I think this is a perfect stopping point. I'm, I'm kind of speechless. That was pretty powerful. We're going to end in a high note here. I mean, Daniel, you work for Hub, right? Yeah. Local company. That's right. You, you handle business anywhere? Do we operate in all 50 states or actually international as well? Um, I am under regular circumstances operating out of our Bloomfield Hills office. Um, but we work primarily middle market, about 50 to a few thousand lives. That's really our sweet spot, which is something that's unique for um, a broker of our size. So today what we're going to do the, in the follow-up to James and I one on Friday and, and 
election employee health in the workplace. But uh, one of our one of our course chairs here couldn't make it today, so Danielle pitched in. Thank you very much. But uh, I'll see you back on Wednesday when we're actually going to have Holly from General Motors, one of the their lead employment attorney, who's you know a couple hundred thousand employees to take care of. You know, not a big deal. She's going to tell us how to keep them all Holly. safe. Yeah, right. All right. Thanks as always, guys. Danielle, thanks for opening up and giving us a little bit more on who you are and what you do. It's fantastic. See you later. Thanks, guys. Thanks, James.